Blogs 16 through 18. Am I the asshole? Goodbyes? Being into Richie. <laughs> this is the one where I realize I am a bit of an asshole. You might know the thread on Reddit, a popular online forum for asking and answering questions anonymously. That sometimes goes really well, and sometimes it ends up on the steps of the Capitol building on the 6th of January, like really casually. Titled AITA, which stands for Am I the Asshole? Which is a casual, dreary Abbey forum for people to detail their life's problems and find out if, in fact, they are the asshole in the situation or not. I don't need to write in the forum to know that when it comes to goodbyes, I am indeed a bit of an asshole. I just don't like goodbyes. If it's a night on the town, I'll pretend to go to the bathroom and then just walk right out the door to a taxi. If it's a family and friends barbecue, I'll wait until people are distracted and peace out through the side door. If it's a colleague or a student or a friend as close as a sister who I might realistically never see again, unfortunately, yeah, same thing. I'm shameless. I cannot handle the finality, the door closing on someone's place in my life, knowing that the next time we'll expect to see them. I just won't. And as much verbal diarrhea as I have on this blog when it comes to saying things in person, ugh, I choke. I'd prefer to not. When it comes to goodbyes, I say things like, cool, well, uh, let's not emotion this. I thrust my arm out with the idea of fist bump, intercepting any ideas of a hug that might bring me to my knees into tears because I'm a goodbye asshole. On the last day of school this year, I didn't want to emotion. I didn't have the energy. I had so much to clean. I was moving rooms and changing grades, packing for seven weeks at home in the States, a bit hungover, but my students were not so quietly falling apart they were losing their shit leaning forehead first into my bosom without invitation wondering if we'd ever see each other again and the only words i said were oh yeah mm, probably not the side of heaven because it was the truth and i was tired and felt like their parents were standing there taking pictures and could have been doing anything to comfort their kids so i could pee for the first time in hours they're gonna have a million other teachers in their life I mean, I was flattered, but, and I was, and I, I kissed their sweaty foreheads and posed for photos and signed yearbooks and felt a prickling of tears. My students are 10 years old. We will genuinely never meet again. They're off to middle school. They're moving around the world. And so I waved and fist bumped goodbye and then went up to the staff room to scavenge for pizza and throw carbs at feelings. Maybe I act this way and avoid goodbyes because I feel safe because of all the technology that allows us to check in anonymously on one another, ascertain the quality of one's life, keep abreast of major news until we're able to physically be together once again. Maybe I hate big, honest conversations about how we value one another and the gaping hole one's absence might leave in my life once we say goodbye maybe it's childhood trauma and important figures floating in and out in a way 
and floating on the periphery of influence without closing conversations with understanding. And I'm, I'm still trying to compartmentalize responsibility and pain of separation. Maybe, maybe I, (laughs) wow, but it is messy to try and grow up and understand yourself, isn't it? Kudos to anyone giving an effort. 17. Pack it up, pack it in. (laughs) I packed up the last day of school in a weird mood. I said some really painful goodbyes to students I'd had and left for a long time and for colleagues moving on, but I mostly just avoided the awkward conversations as much as I could and walked to my apartment because I'm a goodbye asshole. Um, It was really hot. I was really sweaty. My students had made me cry multiple times. I was fragile. So I took a cold shower, packed, walked, showered again, met a friend for drinks, packed some more, and prayed over my flat that it would not be completely molted over when I returned, i.e. last year. Teaching might be the only profession where you get a summer off. The hottest month of the year, at the end of your working brain cells, the point of mental and social exhaustion, it's very necessary. Because Hong Kong still requires hotel quarantine on your own time before full reentry into our little fiefdom, schools kind of unanimously agreed to extend our summer holidays to allow us more time to travel home and then spend several days in a frosted window hotel room with no access to fresh air. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. A thousand dollars a day. It's cool. I'm so grateful, etc. But I'm also just not thinking about it again because it will trigger some PTSD from last summer. Spending two weeks in the same hotel room. And also I still have 20 days here at home in the States. So no need to preemptively panic. Speaking of getting here, the adventure to get back to California was curious. And curiouser. Days before the flight back, the government announced we didn't have to do a PCR test in order to leave, which was great, since I was convinced I had finally contracted COVID right before the flight. Then, upon chatting up workmates, I realized I was flying both legs of my flight uh, Hong Kong to Japan, which is about five hours, four hour layover, and then Japan to SFO, which is about nine and a half hours. I was flying that whole thing with my principal his wife, and their three children under the age of five. Oh, goody. They all kind of screamed, cried both flights and through customs, and I was as sympathetic as I could be from a few rows, a few beers, and two earplugs away. I landed at 10.30 a.m. on a Saturday. My mom and grandma and the dogs picked me up. More family was waiting at home for me, along with those ponchos, my favorite Mexican food. We hung out by the pool, and my shoulders fell back from their tension around my ears for the first time in weeks. Fast forward from that moment, and now I've been home for almost a month. I've been able to do so much. I've had a lot of adjusting to do, seen so many people I love, and I'm still settling in. Mostly, I'm grateful to have a space in my parents' house to chill with the dogs and scrounge in the cupboards for errant crackers. 18. Knowing Alice just a few days after landing in California, I took off for Tennessee to visit my baby sister. And you always will be. Even if you're 30-something, just know. And her own baby. She also has one on the way. 
despite weird bouts of jet lag and fear of having COVID, it was a super awesome visit. I got to be Auntie Richie in every way. Remember how to put a diaper on a squirming child, learned who and what Coco Melon is, heard Baby Shark a million times, congratulated Ellis on every small accomplishment until I felt I almost lost my voice, got sweaty from holding him and rocking and singing endless verses of You Are My Sunshine, and taught him what is apparently a truncated and incorrect version of Gray Squirrel, but I'm sticking it with it because I like it, and so does he. It was only the third time I've gotten to meet the adorable, stubborn, curious creature that is my own nephew. I was a bit nervous, wanting him to love me and like me, let me cuddle him, and I also thought it'd be really cool if I could teach him how to add and subtract and read and write within our tiny visit. As if he didn't own it already, the very first night, he claimed my heart. I'd landed at 7-something p.m. I got to their house expecting he'd be asleep and I'd dismiss him. But he was wide awake and ready to cuddle, throw some things around, share food with me, demonstrate how to bowl. And then it was way past time to go to bed and his dad asked, do you want mom to put you to bed? No. Daddy? No. Auntie Richie? Yeah. His sleepy little voice said. And I threw down my carry-on and my beer and just everything and tucked him into my arms and raced upstairs before he could change his mind. According to his parents, who were well asleep by the time I got back downstairs at 8.30, he completely bamboozled me into about 45 minutes of extra sing-to-sleep time. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. Ellis loves basketball and golf and... Play begins at 5 a.m. most days. He's actually really good at both and can sing a three. Sometimes I say it's a four. While standing on the couch in his diaper, he will practice the same shots over and over with surprising dedication for someone not even two years old. But he will also say, you try and want you to do a few shots and swings. Also, P.S., you are not allowed to sit down. This is an audience participation activity. Ellis will sit and watch golf videos and, oh, yay, at all the right times because he knows what's going on. It's pretty adorable. Other highlights of my visit included his swim lesson, which he was not in the mood for, crying so hard and wanting to run away. And Auntie Rachie wanted to be like, well, let's just stop and go get popsicles then. But we also have to learn to do hard things. We also went to the zoo and loved looking at fishies and played in the hot Tennessee summer sun looking for airplanes. It was the first time I've seen Sophie pregnant and I also got to watch her really get to be a mom with Ellis as he's older now and definitely can have a mind of her own. Maybe it's just a big sister thing, but I kept thinking, uh, are we old enough to do this? <laughs> are we really grown-ups? Do we know what we're doing? As we're driving Ellis around, getting him in and out of a car seat, taking him to the zoo, finding joy and sneaking him bits of cookies because I'm his auntie and that's my right and privilege. Even if it is only 7 a.m., the boy can have a cookie. Times like these make it hard to live so far away and be a mostly digital auntie because 
Nothing compares to the warm, heavy weight of him in my arms, snuffling into my chest, letting me kiss his curly head and rock him to sleep. But I will just take all I can get.